0: Good morning, church. You're going to have to say it louder because I'm higher up now. I feel like I want to bless you all. It's good. Um, I can really really watch you from up here. This is good. This is good. Um, God is good. And all the time. The fact that we have a place to worship today is showing God's goodness. Amen. Um, I want to say a special thank you. Uh, pastor Don Hinkle is actually here today. He's a senior pastor of this church. Pastor Don, thank you so much for doing this for us. We are so blessed. Um, and, uh, and Olin, who's running sound and taking care of us here and making sure you can hear and, and so forth, thank you for, for being here and serving us in this special way. We're, we're really, really blessed. Um, yes, uh, the stained glass windows are beautiful, and you can't see them, right? <laughs> That's uh, I'm going to come down a little lower because I'm afraid of heights a little bit. So uh, hopefully you can see me okay. Um, just gorgeous. I was there as they were putting them in, you know, taking video and watching. It's, it's a little scary when you see a crane involved with windows, you know, kind of carrying them along. And, and uh, I asked the guy who was doing the crane because they have, like, these four suction devices, that, there's a red light that goes on. When the red light's on, there's suction. And so, I, so basically, I just need to pray that the red light never goes off, right? And he goes, absolutely. That would be a good thing to do. So uh, they never, the red light never went off. The windows got up there, and uh, it was great to watch it happen. And let me tell you, it was beautiful just to see them in the morning hours when the sun's not directly on it, and then to see it in the afternoon, and then to go in there about 7 o'clock, seven fifteen, seven thirty, I think it was. Uh, And to watch the deep colors just really come out in different ways. Um, And uh, so I'm saying that not to tease you, but uh, to let you know, when I walked in and just look at those windows, the thing I love most, the thing I love most, is it's not just colors, but there's Jesus everywhere. And when you come in, it's just, this is all about Jesus. This is all about His love for us and our love for Him. And the colors are beautiful, but the story of Jesus from Bethlehem to the second coming is is just amazing. So I'm excited for you to get in there and see it. Unfortunately, because of all the plaster dust, and we want to be on the safe side and make sure that there aren't any asbestos issues. So we couldn't get those tests done until actually yesterday the person came to take the sample. So hopefully we will hear, even as early as today, um, and hopefully, there are no problems, and we'll get uh, a cleaning crew in there because there's a lot of dust, and we'll be good to go for next Sabbath. But we'll keep you posted, and uh, we now know who reads their email mostly, right? Uh, we need to have a moment of silence for those who didn't make it over from the other side. Um, we're missing some, but uh, we're having a good bonding experience today, uh, which is great. Oh, the pictures. Of the stained glass windows? Yes, we'll do that. But we probably should get some better pictures than I took with my iPhone. That's probably... <laughs> I don't want to cheapen the cheapen the beauty of it, you know. Um, but anyways, uh, but it's good to be together. Thanks for making it to the other side here, uh, making the journey. And uh, you know, I know you're serious when you know the sermon's going to be on the minor prophets. You know, it's like you make the journey, and we're going to hear about Nahum today. So uh, that's pretty hardcore. You guys are you guys are in it for sure. Um, also, I just want to take a minute uh, to just say Happy Father's Day to all the fathers out there. Um, and, uh, it's not easy being a father in today's world. It's really tough, and so men just want to encourage you to. Love strong, and uh, just be present with your family. It's easy to get lost into all the work and everything else, but our families need us. And uh, God's grace and peace be with you in the journey of of fatherhood. I told you last year that I had a better Father's Day than you did. I don't know if you remember that. Probably not. Uh, Then my wife asked me what I wanted for Father's Day, and I said I wanted a Camaro. And she got me a Camaro for a day, and um, I had to return it before it turned back into a pumpkin. And uh, so I did that. But we had a great time. So she asked me this year what I wanted for Father's Day, and I said I want a Ferrari. And uh no, I'm i just kidding. Uh can't afford to rent a Ferrari even. So uh but I don't know what we're gonna do, but we're gonna have fun uh tomorrow on Father's Day. Well, we are uh continuing our series on majoring in the minors, the twelve minor prophets found in the the end of the old testament. And today we are in the book of Nahum. And uh, i don 't know about you if you 've ever been bullied in your life um, i'm guessing some of you maybe have experienced that as a kid or even as an adult there 's bullies of all ages, and especially now with the internet there 's a lot of bullying that can take place Facebook you know Twitter different things you name it there 's all kinds of bullying that can happen but i 'm still remembering times when I was bullied as a kid. I remember being in first or second grade, and there was a there was a guy in our school, and you know my mind i 'm not sure i 'm thinking he was like junior high, maybe early high school, but, you know, I was a first or second grader, so he could have been a fifth grader for all I remember, and, uh, but he used to chase me, and I don't know if you've ever seen this before, but have you ever seen anybody who can, like, flip their eyelids inside out? Yeah, it's kind of freaky, you know? He would flip his eyelids inside out so they were red, and then he'd roll his eyes back so it was just white, and he would chase me around the school, you know, and I'd be like, ah, help me, Mom, you know, and... Of course, no one could help me, and I think I finally got the teacher one time to help, but it never helped because he was going to find me one way or another, you know. And as I got older, then I remember there was another guy who was like, he was kind of like the sports guy of the school, you know, just could do everything well and just this macho guy. And, and uh, for some reason, he just wanted to pick on me. And I don't know if it was just my good looks that he was threatened by or, you know, what it, what it was. You're laughing. I'm not sure why. But... Um, <laughs> He wanted to chase me so he could hit me. And I thought, you know, what is this? But but fortunately, I appeared to be faster than him most of the time. And I'm not kidding you. You know, picture Mesa Grande, and I would run. Like, I would run around the whole campus just running from this guy. And finally when he'd get me, then, you know, he'd pelt me and pelt me in the arm or whatever and stuff. And finally that, you know, got taken care of. But why on earth do people just want to be mean? Why? We don't have good reasons for that, I guess. But but in Nahum, believe it or not, we're talking about a big bully. We're talking about Nineveh. We're talking about Assyria. And uh, if you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to turn with me. There's Bibles in the pews, but we also are going to put it up on the screen for you. And in the book of Nahum, God is addressing a bully. And the bully's name is Assyria. And its capital was Nineveh. And so God is writing, or God is speaking to Nahum. And this is about 650 B.C. And it says, An oracle concerning Nineveh, the book of the vision of Nahum the Elkishite. An oracle, a word of prophecy concerning Nineveh. And then the next few verses that take place here in Nahum is an opening hymn, if you will. It's a, it's a hymn. And now, uh, as I read this opening hymn, I want you to imagine that this is our opening song. If you were to come in and this was our opening hymn today, imagine singing a melody to these words. The Lord is a jealous and avenging God. The Lord takes vengeance as is filled with wrath. The Lord takes vengeance on His foes and maintains His wrath against His enemies. How would you like that to be your opening hymn for the morning? That just doesn't feel right, right? You want to come in here and sing about God's love and His kindness and His compassion and that we're all forgiven. But this is the opening hymn for Nahum. The Lord is a jealous and avenging God. The Lord takes vengeance and is filled with wrath. The Lord takes vengeance on His foes and maintains His wrath against His enemies. You notice a word that keeps repeating there? That V word, vengeance. Vengeance. Do you like to think of God as an avenging God? Maybe you do. Uh, Maybe you don't. And then verse 3, which the hymn continues, But the Lord is slow to anger and great in power, and the Lord will not leave the guilty unpunished. His way is in the whirlwind and the storm, and the clouds are the dust of his feet. Vengeance. Avenging. Nahum has a message to Nineveh to Assyria for the people of Judah about this venging God. Now, vengeance is kind of a, it can be a popular thing, and, and to some I think it's a, it feels good. Doesn't it, doesn't it feel good when the person who's really mean gets it? You ever, I mean, honestly, you don't have to raise your hands, but it kind of feels good, doesn't it? It's like, yes, they finally got what was coming to them. I mean, one of the blockbuster movies this summer is what? You know? The Avengers. right? Captain America, the Incredible Hulk, Iron Man, you know, all these people. Thor, people who get the mean people, who get the people. Who, and it feels good that, yes, finally they, they got it, the bad guy. The good guy wins in the end. But vengeance also has to do with, with judgment, and dealing with a judge, if you will. The person who says what's right and what's wrong. Now, I'm just going to be honest with you. When it comes to the end of time and it comes to um, my sins, I'm glad you all aren't my judge. Now, don't take that personally, because you can be glad that I'm not your judge. But a judge makes a decision on, all right, Where does this person stand? Now, I have found in life, and I I think you've probably found this too, that it's easy to base your reality on false information. Now, none of you have probably ever done that before, right? But I've been in a conversation with people from time to time where maybe there's been a misunderstanding 10, 15, 20 years ago. And their judgment about a person is based on this reality, this fact that they have in their mind, to find out that the fact they had about maybe a person or a people group was in fact incorrect. And so for 10, 15, 20 years, their judgment on this person or people group was absolutely wrong. But we don't have a judge like that, thank God. But our judge, God, through Jesus Christ, is described as a vengeful God in the book of Nahum. Someone who takes vengeance. Now, it's important for us to understand. It's important for us to understand a bit about Assyria, because we could say they were mean people, they were bullies, they did unkind things, and that wouldn't be even close to what it was. I want to take you through a few verses in Nahum, and then share something from you from uh, the Holman Bible Dictionary about Assyria. Beginning with chapter 2, verse 13, and we're going to go into the first five verses of chapter 3, it says, I am against you, declares the Lord Almighty, I will burn up your chariots in smoke, and the sword will devour your young lions. I will leave you no prey on the earth. The voices of your messengers will no longer be heard. Woe to the city of blood, full of lies, full of plunder, never without victims. You starting to get the feel of the Assyrians? The crack of whips, the clatter of wheels, galloping horses and jolting chariots, charging cavalry flashing swords and glittering spears, many casualties, piles of dead bodies without number, people stumbling over the corpses, all because of the wanton lust of a harlot, alluring the mistress of sorceries, who enslaved nations by her prostitution and peoples by her witchcraft. I am against you, declares the Lord Almighty." I don't know about you, but I'm glad God was against Assyria. Stumbling over the corpses, piles of bodies that have been slaughtered. We're not just talking about someone who chased someone so they could hit them. The very last verse in chapter 3, verse 19 Says, nothing can heal your wound, your injury is fatal, God is saying to them. Everyone who hears the news about you claps his hands at your fall, for who has not felt your endless cruelty. Now, if you have young children, you might want to divert them a little bit, because I want to share with you some of the truth about this situation. This is from the Holman Bible Dictionary about the Assyrians. The Assyrians worshipped the vicious god Asher and a multitude of other gods and goddesses. Assyrian brutality and cruelty were legendary. The Assyrians were known to impel their enemies on stakes in front of their towns and hang their heads from trees in the king's gardens. They also tortured their captives, men, women, or children, by cutting off noses, ears, or fingers, gouging out their eyes, or tearing off their lips and hands. They reportedly, listen to this, they reportedly covered the city wall with the skins of their victims. Rebellious subjects would be massacred by the hundreds, sometimes burned at the stake, and then their skulls would be placed in great piles by the roadside as a warning to others. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. I am glad that God... Would not stand for this type of brutal, horrific massacring. In verses 9 through 11, Nahum goes on and says, Whatever they plot against the Lord, he will bring to an end. Trouble will not come a second time. They will be entangled among thorns and drunk from their wine. They will be consumed like dry stubble. From you, and the NIV includes O Nineveh, which isn't in the Hebrew, but from you has one come forth who plots evil against the Lord and counsels wickedness. Now, unless you look at the original language here, you would completely miss what many scholars think is being said here. When Nahum writes, whatever they, the Hebrew is you, whatever you plot against the Lord, he will bring to an end and trouble will not come a second time. From you has one come forth who plots evil against the Lord and counsels wickedness. The word that's being used here for wickedness in the Hebrew is a word that Paul uses in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 when he says, what does Christ have to do with Belial, the devil? Nothing. And so what God is saying through Nahum here is he's getting to the source of the problem, the big idea, the big picture. Yes, Nineveh is a problem, Assyria has a problem, but the greater problem is what is the power behind the Assyrians, the power of Satan to plot against the Lord. The power of Satan to plot against the love of God in the world. You see, we have to remember that that Israel and, and Judah, they weren't a great power. They were weak, feeble people. They were a nobody. And God chose them to bring His plan of salvation to the human race and into this world. And so Satan wants to stop God's plan of salvation in this world. And Nineveh, the Assyrians, were cooperating with him. And so not only was God wanting to just stop the brutality and stop the horrible killing that was taking place through the Assyrians, he was stopping them because it was a threat to his plan of salvation in this world. We have to remember that. God was not going to let his plan of salvation be stopped. His love would not be stopped. And so God says, I will avenge, I will take action on this. We all like good stories. We all like happy endings. We watch TV shows, you know, like, for instance, maybe some of us watch The Biggest Loser, right? Watch people lose hundreds of pounds. And then you wonder, you know, well, where are they five years from now? They still lose the weight, or did they gain it all back? What about the lottery winner that won millions of dollars who was poor and didn't have anything, and now they have these millions? Where are they now five years from now? Do they still have the money? What did they use it for? What, what happened? Well, Nahum is kind of a continuing of the story if you will. Because a hundred years before Nahum, Jonah preached to Nineveh. Jonah went, if you remember the story of Jonah, he didn't want to go and he was fleeing from God. He gets swallowed by the fish and he ends up going to Nineveh and he preaches the good news. And, he, and Jonah's upset because Nineveh repented and accepted God's plea for forgiveness and for love. And so when you read the book of Jonah at the end, 120,000 people repented and Jonah was upset. Why? Because Jonah saw his people tortured like I had described to you. He saw how, how the Assyrians had treated his, his family and his friends and his, his nation. It would be like if you, were, if you had a close loved one who died in 9-11. And God was saying, go tell the Taliban I love them. Hmm. Jonah didn't want to do that. It was too deep of a wound, too much pain to accept them into God's kingdom and God's love. But Nineveh repented. And so when you watch VeggieTales, and you watch Jonah, and you watch stories, and you read the story, and you go, yay, God's love, they accepted God's love. Well, 100 years later, they're back to their ways. They're back to the killing. They're back to... All of the horrific things that I shared with you. And so God comes back and he says, that's it. I'm slow to anger. It's been a hundred years and you don't want what I'm offering. And I can't let this continue. I can't let it go on. I will not let it continue. And so Nahum brings this word to Assyria and to the Ninevites. And this plotting of the devil, the plotting of Satan through Assyria, God says he will bring to an end. Whatever Satan plots against the Lord and anyone who's with him, God will bring to an end, verse 9 says. Trouble will not come a second time. For from you, verse 11, has one come forth who plots evil against the Lord, who plots evil against God's love. But there's good news there's good news. When you plot against love, you want suffering. You want pain. You want control at all costs. You want misery. You want death. And in fact, you want hell and not heaven. But there is good news because Nahum continues in verse 15 of chapter 1. He says, Look, look, there on the mountains, the feet of one who brings good news who proclaims peace. Celebrate your festivals, O Judah, and fulfill your vows. No more will the wicked invade you. They will be completely destroyed. Look, the good news, God is with you. God is going to see you through this. Shalom will happen. Peace will happen. And you will celebrate your festivals. And what did they do when they celebrated their festivals? They proclaimed the love of God in the world and His provision for them. No longer would their festivals be stopped by the power of the enemy. But God's plan of salvation would continue to be proclaimed and celebrated in their festivals and in their their rituals and in their life and in their vows. No more will the wicked invade you. They will be completely destroyed. In verse 7 of chapter 1, a verse that maybe many of us know and take comfort in, the Lord is good, a refuge in times of trouble. He cares for those who trust in Him. But with an overwhelming flood, he will make an end of Nineveh. He will pursue his foes into the darkness. The Lord is good, a stronghold, a refuge in times of trouble. He cares for those who trust in him. The word Nahum, Nahum's name, if you will, means comfort. God, through Nahum, was bringing a message of comfort to his people who were suffering horrifically saying, take comfort. I'm working this out. This won't continue forever. Fifty years after this message, Assyria was taken over by Medes and by Babylon. It ended. God took care of his people. You see, the good news is that even though even though Satan plots against the love of God, even though Satan roams this world like a devouring lion, God's love will never fail. As 1 Corinthians 13 says, love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. No matter how hard, Satan tried to plot against the love of God through Herod and killing the young boys to try to get to Jesus, the Messiah. No matter how hard Satan tried to plot against the love of God through the temptations of Jesus to get him to bow down and do things that he wanted him to do, no matter how hard he tried to keep him in the tomb, God's love would not fail. God's love never Fails. There is no power great enough that can plot against the love of God that will ever succeed. There will come a day, Revelation says, when the bully, when the criminal, when those who plot against the love of God will end. And John writes in chapter 21 of Revelation, he says, "'I saw a new heaven and a new earth. "'For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, "'and there was no longer any sea. "'I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, "'coming down out of heaven from God, "'prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. "'And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, "'Now the dwelling of God is with men, "'and he will live with them. "'They will be his people, and God himself will be with them "'and be their God.' He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things is passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To him who is thirsty, I will give to drink without cost from the spring of the water of life. Because our God is good, and because He's good all the time, there will be a day where there is no more death, no more tears, no more sorrow, no more suffering. And just as God has proved Himself over and over through history, and specifically, through the cross of Jesus Christ, the life of Jesus Christ. We know His Word is true. And we can take comfort in Him, even though Satan continues to plot against the love of God, even those who work with Him plot against God's love. We can trust and have faith that God's love will not fail. Because God is good, I can trust Him with the vengeance. And I'm glad that the Scripture says, Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. Vengeance is not John's. Vengeance is not yours. Vengeance is God's. And we can trust our loving, faithful, compassionate God with the vengeance to let Him handle it to let him sort it all out. No matter how hard Satan or anyone plots against God, our God's love will never fail. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your amazing love. Thank you that no matter how hard Satan has plotted against your love through the centuries, through the millennia, Your love has not failed. And Lord, as difficult as it is sometimes to think about you being a vengeful God, thank you that you are a God of goodness that handles the vengeance. And that the killing, the murdering, the abuse, all of the things that are despicable and horrible will end. Thank you for being such a good God that you will take care of that. Give us the faith to keep trusting in your love, to know that no matter how tough things get, no matter how hard things get, no matter how bullies come to us in our life, that we can take comfort in you. And that you are taking care of it. May we seek you, our good God, as our refuge and our strength. Take a moment now in silent prayer. Just to be still and listen to God's spirit speak to your heart and mind this morning.